Well, what does it mean to stand for truth? You know, today Ezekiel is going to address that issue. It's interesting, have you ever had one of those areas in your life that you chose to patch over something that really required an overhaul? Maybe it was a personnel issue, you knew you had to have a hard conversation, you're like, I'll just put this off another week, I'll put this off another month, I'll put this off another quarter. Somebody probably need to be fired or a tough conversation to be had, but you're like, you know what, maybe it'll just get better on its own. How'd that work out for you? Or maybe you go through a difficult challenge in your marriage and, and you know, you're having a fight one evening or, or just you, you feel the distance growing between the two of you. You're like, you know, we really, we really should get maybe some counseling for this or some advice for this. And then you decide, nah, let's just, let's just go on vacation. I'm sure that'll take care of it, right? And you sort of patch up something that's been, been accumulated for many, many years or, or you're in a service one moment and you hear a song or you hear a message point and you feel like God's asking you to, to slow down. Really reflect on maybe what your motives are. What are you really chasing these days? What's your number one priority? And, and as you feel like God's really prompting you to, to dig deep into some areas of your life, you think, you know, I'm just too busy. It's, oh, okay, that was good. I had a minute or two to think about it. Now, you know, back to work, back to work, back to the rat race. These are just some of the ways that we try and patch up an area that really needs an overhaul in your life. And Ezekiel's going to bring a message from God that says just that. There's all too often ways we try and patch over things that need a significant overhaul. So much so that there's a group of false prophets in Ezekiel's day, and they are saying, it's fine. Sure, we need a little tweak here. We could do a little better there. But really, we're fine. Ezekiel, relax, man. Take a Valium for crying out loud. You've been going on and on and on, chapter after chapter. Honestly, I've been hearing from God, the false prophets say, and it's fine. We're fine. A little tweak here, little Jesus dust there, little Jehovah dust there, you'll be fine. To which Ezekiel is going to bring a message where he says, don't try and patch up something that needs a bulldozer. <laughs> and that's what God's going to say. You're trying to patch a wall, plaster over a wall, patch a problem, patch a habit that I'm telling you needs a complete bulldozer overhaul in your life. And Zika's going to lay out three actions. How do we call out the contractors? How do we look under the plaster in our life? And how do we fix the foundation of what's broken? And here's what my hope is. My hope is that as we look at this, it's going to cause us to pause. It's going to cause me to pause. And to look past the outward veneer of who we are and who we pretend to be. And look underneath that and say, God, what's really going on inside of me? And what would it look like for me to stop patching over stuff that you've been trying to get my attention for maybe decades? I heard a speaker this year at a leadership conference. His name is Chris McKenzie. He works for the Stephen Covey organization. He told a story about the four disciplines of execution. This particular company he was consulting with, they were just radical about data collection, like most companies are. But ironically, they were a valet company. And one of the things they didn't collect data on was actually how much time it took to get your car in back. Like, how could they miss that? Was well, they realized one of the reasons it was so hard to get times is because the very nature of trying to get your car in and out is it's so busy and fast, adding some way to clock the times was actually making the, the, the time longer. But they were committed. They wanted wildly high customer service. And they realized the main issue was the times weren't quite fast enough. So they committed to find a way to measure those times 
and said, we want to get up to five stars on all of our locations, town properties. Well, one of the locations down in Miami, Florida, had an issue, which is the place they parked the cars had one entrance in and one entrance out. And there was a, there was a giant wall right in the middle that made the, the, the flow of movement of traffic bad. So every time someone needed a car, you had to back three of them up to get this one out, all because this wall was in the way to use the other entrance or use the other exit. Well, they tried everything. People texting the night before so they could line the cars up in the right order, and that helped a bit, and customer service went up. But they realized one day as they were meeting with the team of, of college students and the manager of that particular place, and they said, our real problem is we cannot solve this problem through incrementalism. We can't just tweak our way into this. The wall's got to go. Allegedly, they checked to find out if it was a load-bearing wall, although Chris says that's not true. And one Saturday afternoon, they brought sledgehammers and they brought jackhammers, and they literally, these college students and manager, smashed down the wall running through the middle of the parking garage so they had two exits, and immediately their, their times of getting car retrieval doubled and customer service went up because they came to the conclusion small tweaks and incremental changes will not solve this. This has got to be a break-down-the-wall moment. And that's what Ezekiel is telling his people today. Number one, you've got to call out the contractors, he says. Call out the contractors. And he's going to try and show you why this issue is much bigger than you think it is. And when he talks about these issues, he's not talking about murder. He's not talking about adultery. He's not talking about some of the things we might think are the big issues. He says the big issue in your life that you think is a tweak, yeah, I probably should work on that. That's a little bit of a big deal, but not that bad. He says the number one thing you've got to call out the contractors for is because you are putting yourself in the place of God. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy. Prophesy against those prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, not out of my heart, And what they're doing, these false prophets are prophesying out of their own heart, and they're saying, I speak for the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. They are claiming to be my voice. They are putting themselves in the place of God. To which I guess you say, yeah, I guess theoretically that's a problem, putting yourself in the place of God. And we shouldn't do that. I guess that's as bad as murder. I've never really thought of it that way. But it's not a little area that needs a patch. It's an area that needs an overhaul. And there are so many ways we put ourselves in the place of God. When you become self-righteous, when you decide to justify yourself based on your works, God's no longer your justifier. You've become your own justifier. You've put yourself in the place of God. When you worry, you know what you're doing? You're trying to control things that only God can control, people and circumstances. You know what worry is? Putting yourself in the place of God. You know, when you refuse to forgive somebody else because you don't want God to give them mercy or God to give them grace, you want God to give them a lightning bolt, and you're not sure if you give it over to God that he will give the lightning bolt. So what do you do? You put yourself in the place of God and you become judge and jury. Bitterness and anger, holding grudges, is putting yourself in the place of God. You might say, yeah, I sort of struggle with forgiving. Yeah, I sort of have a problem with that. Yeah, I probably had a patch. I ought to work on that someday. No, no. You need to call up the contractors. This is a huge problem. You've placed yourself in the place of God. He goes on. He says, the second thing about this, this problem in your wall is that you're letting your compromises. You're letting your compromises 
and you think your compromises lower God's standards. <laughs> because I don't take holiness real seriously, I'm sure God's fine with it. That's what you think. Here's how he says it. Thus says the Lord God, Whoa! Whoa, that's a strong word. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, not mine, and they have seen nothing. They say they see the future. Let me tell you, they've seen nothing true. Oh, Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. Now, interesting, this word foxes that he uses. Many commentators, as they look at this word foxes, think that the word foxes, some thought because the foxes were cunning and they were conniving. But most commentators say that's not why he chose the word foxes. If you lived during this time of Israel, that when a city got abandoned, when the society was beginning to crumble, and everyone moved out because the walls aren't there anymore, the cities aren't there anymore, there's holes in the wall, one of the places you would find foxes living is in a crumbling society. They would find refuge from the desert by running into a crumbling society. That's where foxes lived. And so he's saying, you prophets, you people have gotten used to living in a crumbling society like a fox. You've so lowered your standard on truth, you think I've lowered my standard of truth. I haven't. You've lowered your standard of purity, you think I've lowered my standard of purity. I haven't. I don't live in crumbled cities. I live in a most high exalted city. And because you say, well, I know the Bible says you should be more thankful and shouldn't complain. Yeah, I should probably work on that. It needs a little patch. No. Being unkind, being ungrateful, having a critical spirit, these are areas that need a major overhaul, God says. And just because you've lowered your standards of personal holiness doesn't mean that my standard of holiness has moved at all. And as you're trying to deal with the problem, he goes on, hoping a patch will solve a gap is not going to work. Look how he says it. You have not even gone up to see the problem yet. You haven't gone up to see the gaps in your wall. Again, cities were protected by walls. They were critical that you had a good wall around your city. And if you had a gap in your wall, that was a place the enemy could sneak in. He said, you've got gaps in your wall and you haven't even gone up to look at the problem. You should see the gap and then your result should be, not we need to patch this up, we need to build a wall here for the house of Israel to stand in battle for the day of the Lord. But they, the false prophets, have said... Uh, you know what, I envision it'll be fine. I imagine it won't be a problem. And God says, no, you have envisioned futility. You have created false divination because you're not hearing this wisdom from me. You've said, thus saith the Lord. But the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that their words will be confirmed. Ezekiel says, hoping is not a strategy. Wishing things will go better is not a successful strategy. I hope we'll be fine. I hope God won't make a big deal about what we're doing. I hope there's no consequences to this. And, and don't you have friends? Don't you talk to your kids? Haven't, didn't your parents tell you when you were a kid? Haven't you had people say to you, listen, I think you're on a path. That's a problem. You're like, oh, I'll be fine. Relax. I'm not planning to get hurt. I hope it'll work out well. And you're going, that's not good. that path never works out well. I've seen people on that path. Don't go down that path. Ezekiel's saying, your false prophets think that wishing and hoping is a successful strategy. It's not. Hoping a patch is going to plug a gap in your marriage, in your holiness, in your pursuit of God, that hoping strategy will not work. 
Have you not seen a futile vision? It's futile. Have you not spoken false divination, God says? You say the Lord says, but I'm telling you, I have not spoken here. So he says, you've got to call the contractors. You think these are little issues in the wall? Little leaks in the roof? No. This is a major gap that needs major attention in your pursuit of God. He says, so what we're going to do is we're going to look under the plaster. Because one of the reasons they don't see the gap is because they plastered over it. He finishes up this last part about the gap saying this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense. Wow. You've envisioned lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against these prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. And then here's my point. But here's what I want you to know, that I am the Lord your God. That I am truth, and I am purity, and I am righteousness, and I am the justifier, and I am the one that controls the world. That's what I want you to know. That's why I'm bringing this to your attention. I said, well, come on. Come on, what's the big deal? He says, well, the reason you're not seeing it is because you need to look under the plaster. You need to look under the plaster. Call out the contractors, and the first thing they're going to do is look under the plaster. He continues. Imagine now, like this picture on the wall. You have a, a brick wall, and there is a giant hole where there's missing bricks. Now, you could say, oh my goodness, I've got to call out somebody. We've got to pull out those bad bricks. We've got to chisel out the other pieces, put in new bricks, put in new concrete. But what a mess it'll make out of the kitchen. That means, well, I won't be able to use that room for about a month. How about instead we just wallpaper over the hole? And as long as, as, long as nobody leans on that spot, we'll be fine, right? So there are cracks in the wall that they have plastered over. We'll see the word God uses in a moment. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm going to expose those cracks that you've been trying to hide. So most of the time we are in image management mode in our life. And we try and hide our cracks. We try and hide our errors. We try and hide the things that are broken in us. But God loves us enough to push in on all of our walls, all of our secrets. God is trying to expose the secrets that we're actually trying to hide. So it feels like God's against us because our goal is to hide the cracks. His goal is to expose the cracks. Look how he does it here. Because indeed they, the false prophets, have seduced my people saying, peace, it's all good, peace, peace. But there is no peace. One builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. They didn't use the right kind. We'll come back to that. Say to those who plaster it, the hole, with untempered mortar, that it's going to fall. This wall is going to fall down. And God said, not only is it going to fall down, I'm going to create circumstances that make it fall down. Real nice, God. Real nice. Yes, I am going to send flooding rain on your wall, great hailstone against your wall, and it's going to fail. I'm going to send a stormy wind to tear that thing down. And surely, when the wall comes falling down, will it not be said to you, what kind of mortar did we use to plaster this thing anyway? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to cause a stormy wind to break forth in fury. I'm going to cause a flooding rain to come in my anger and great hailstones in fury to consume it. 
God says, I'm going to expose those cracks that you tried to plaster over. Why would God do this? And this is sort of back to the old example. This is why I don't like that Old Testament God. He's so angry. He's so mean. Oh my goodness. I so much like Jesus and the, the red letters. I just don't like the Old Testament God. Is it possible that the God of the Old Testament could be loving when he's doing this kind of stuff? I want to try and suggest yes. Let me tell you what he says next. I'll give you an illustration to show you how. God says, here's what I'm about. Here's, what, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's what the storms are about. Here's what the hailstones are about. I'm trying to expose the cracks that you're trying to hide. And why am I doing that? Next verse. I'm going to break down the wall that you have plastered with untempered mortar. I'm going to bring it down to the ground so it's, here it is, so its foundation will be uncovered. I'm trying to break down the wall now so it doesn't fall on top of somebody later. See, you're pretending that the issue in your marriage isn't a big deal. It's going to fall on top of you in about a decade. You're pretending this issue of character, the, the, the poor character, the fudging of the truth, making yourself better than you are, you think that's something you can just patch over. I'm going to send circumstances in your life to expose that because that wall is going to come crushing down on your career, crushing down on your relationship with me. If I don't expose that now... That wall will fall on somebody later. So my motivation is for your good. When I was a kid, my uh, brother and I uh, used to go over to this other house we had. My, my parents inherited a house from a friend of ours who passed away, and it was about a mile from our house. It was on two lakes. And we loved going over there. And at the lower lake, there was a retaining wall made out of big railroad ties. And we loved walking around that. And we'd go out and catch some frogs and just had a great time. Well, one of the retaining walls, right in the corner of our property and the next person's property, was leaning. And every year it leaned a little more. Two degrees, 15 degrees, 20 degrees. And of course, as a kid, as a boy especially, you know, you know you're invincible. You liked the fact that it was 20 degrees because you're like, whoa, not going to fall, not going to fall. So one day my brother and I were out there, and as we're on the wall, I jumped off the wall and, and into the water. I turned around, looked at him, and, and he's doing the same thing. And all of a sudden, he leans, and wow, that whole thing came tumbling down. Railroad ties are spilling over, hit his arm, and he fell into the water. I ran over, and he's screaming, pull the railroad tie up. And I'd just taken my first aid class, because I, I was thinking about being a general practitioner at the time. And so I, I did my first magazine splint. I remember putting the magazine on, and he's you know, duct taping it around, and, and we had to take him to the hospital. I now knew it was going to fall, all right? I knew it was dangerous to other people, people I cared about. If I had known that in advance, like God does, and if I had walked up to my neighbor's house two weeks earlier, six months earlier, knocked on the door, hey, you know, I know you'd want to know this. Your, your uh, wall, it, it's tipping more and more. It's going to fall. It's going to hurt somebody. You've really got to tear that down. You've really got to do some major landscaping. There's going to be a cost to it. There's going to be time involved in it. And if somebody came to you and said that, how do you react? Get off my lawn! What are you doing in my yard anyway? You guys are trespassing, right? Leave me alone! Mind your own business! That's what we do with God. God's like, no, 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 Tony, you got a problem in your life. You gotta solve this. Or imagine you're about to buy a house. You hire me to be the building inspector. I don't recommend that, but let's just say you do. And I come back and I say, listen, I, I want to give you a report on the house you're about to buy. And we come into the main room, and this is beautiful. In fact, you already had the painters paint up this particular wall the color you want. And, and I say, I, I'd like to show you a few things. And I pull out a sledgehammer. 
I said, let me show you this wall. And you love this wall. It's a pretty wall. And I'm like, watch this. Kaboom! Oh, my goodness. Chad's got a real anger problem. No, no, come look at this. They built this wall with two-by-fours, 24 on center, not 16 on center. The, the, the construction person here was cheap and saved a little money. And you have got major areas that this wall is weak. And I had to bash that wall in order to show you the problem. Now, come over here. Another beautiful area of the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, come here. Let me show you my sledgehammer. Bam! I hit the bed. Oh, and the termites are now go everywhere. Oh, my goodness. There's bugs in this house. Listen, there's a problem here. You got termites eating into your, into your foundation. You wouldn't have seen it if I didn't bash into that thing, but this is a problem. Now, you can buy the house if you want, but you got to fix this. You got to repair that. Now, am I an angry, mad, out-of-control contractor? You're like, well, actually, you are, actually, Chad. What would my motivation be? I'm tr- I love you enough to say, I need to protect your investment here. You need to know what you're buying here. And you might see me just swinging the sledgehammer and think, Old Testament God's really angry. No, Old Testament God is trying to show you there's a problem. This wall is going to fall down on you. We used to build clubhouses all the time. I remember... Uh, one time we were building a third story to our clubhouse. My dad always had a rule. Every time we got to a certain place, we built them with four-by-four four beams on each of the four corners. They're always big you know, squares or rectangles. So we got done with our second story, meaning the, the floor of the second story was the roof of the first story, and we're about to start putting on the third. My dad always says the same thing. All right, let me come check. He'd walk out into our backyard. He'd climb up into our clubhouse. Say, all right, we're down the ground. He's jumping on our clubhouse. We're holding, shaking, you know, should have put more concrete in that four-foot beam. Boom! He's like, it's got to support my weight before I let you guys use the clubhouse. I always thought the next-door neighbors, because we had people who lived behind us, must have been like, what is Mr. Hoven doing jumping up and down on that clubhouse? That guy looks crazy. He was checking to see that it could support our weight. And that's what God is doing. He's jumping in this place, trying to expose the cracks that we've hidden, and let a wall fall down now so it doesn't kill somebody later. He goes on and says this. Thus, I'm going to accomplish my wrath on the wall, on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. So let's talk about this word. He's used it four times now. When you were putting together like concrete or putting together a wall that needed to support weight, you mixed your concrete with lime. And that lime had to cure and that cure took more time. In fact, if you've, if you've had a parking lot put in, or you've had concrete work done, you'll hear the contractor say, now, don't walk on this, don't drive on this, don't get on here for a, for a few hours, sometimes a few days, because the concrete needs to cure, right? So that's concrete mixed with lime. It's a hardening kind of concrete. There's another type of cheap concrete that's used for decoration where you would mix your concrete with clay, and you would use that as sort of the final veneer. It looked pretty. It shined a little bit, but it didn't have the infrastructure to cure or to harden to hold up a wall. And so what they were using is untempered. The, the word here is um, to fall. They're using to fall um, lime and clay to fix these, these wall holes. They basically were using plaster or, or wallpaper decorative concrete instead of using stable concrete. And I say to you, the walls no more, nor those who plastered it. That is the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Israel and who see visions of peace for her. There is no peace, says God. Bad stuff's going to happen. 
Now, as you're going through this, maybe you notice Jesus used a lot of these analogies in the New Testament. Remember the word, whoa! Whitewashing a problem on the outside when the inside it's broken. See, Jesus has a similar swinging of the sledgehammer in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you, you blind guides! You're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. On the outside you wash the cup so it looks so pretty, but on the inside is death. Woe unto you, for you go halfway across the country to make a convert, and you make them twice the son of hell as you. Jesus, man. I've got to read that book about how to win friends and influence people for crying out loud. What are you so bothered about? He was so bothered at the religious communities focused on outside reputation, externals, and it was all veneer to cover up inner brokenness, inner lack of transparency, inner justifying Justifying yourself instead of God justifying you. And, and certainly, the analogies and words Jesus uses in that passage liken back to this Ezekiel passage. Which brings him to his final point. The reason I'm, I'm calling out the contractors, the reason we're looking behind the plaster is because you've got to fix your foundation. You've got to fix the foundation. And here's how you know if you need a foundation fixed. Number one, when you're facing the unknown in your life, fear, unknown circumstances, do you consult God last? I know I often do. Here's what it sounds like. Well, all we can do now is pray. How many times have I said that? What does that mean? It means I tried my own resources, I tried my own ideas, I went down the list of everything I could do, and then facing the unknown, I'm like, well, I guess now I'll pray because I'm out of ideas, right? Instead of consulting God First, we consult God last. And then we say, well, we sort of joke about it and say, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. I'll just patch that up. I need to work on that. No, God, that's a major problem. That's a foundation, cracking the foundation issue. If your dependence upon your resources is much higher than your dependence on God's resources. God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You either believe it or you don't. And I'm like, oh, I guess I don't. I mean, I, I want to believe it, but I don't think I act like it. Here's how he says it. Likewise, son of man. Set your face against the daughters of your people. They prophesy out of their own hearts, not my heart. They prophesy and prophesy against them. Say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for their heads of people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? He's woeing them because instead of consulting God for the future, they're like, I don't really like what God said. Let's consult somebody else. And so they basically sew these magic charms into their sleeves and into their veils and say, we're going to seek somebody else before we seek God. In those days, it might look like this. You had these magic charms. It would be equivalent today of saying, you know, I'm going to trust fate before I trust God. I'm going to hope for, for good luck before I trust God. I'm going to have a lucky rabbit's foot. Or, more seriously, it would be, I'm going to use tarot cards, or I'm going to use a Ouija board, or I'm going to consult my horoscope. The Bible's pretty strong in Deuteronomy. He calls those things an abomination, that when you do that, it's not just a little patch, ah, oh, it's sort of fun to do it. God says, no, it's an abomination. That's a major problem in your foundation when you do that. To which some of us are getting self-righteous right now and saying, thank goodness, I've never played with tarot cards, and I've never done a Ouija board. Well, guess what are other ways that we do the same thing? We may not have magic charms in our sleeves and in our face. 
But when you face the unknown, if you consult God second, third, fourth, if you find yourself saying, well, I just praying sort of the last thing I do, certainly not the first, it's the same thing. Any way in which we consult something besides God, when you try to control the future by your own means, my own resources, my own manipulation, my own worrying, these are all ways in which we look to something else to be our real God, our real source, our real comfort, our real direction, rather than God. It's consulting any source besides God to alleviate fears about the future. When you're scared about the future, what do you do? When you're scared about the future, what's your instinct? That's probably your functional God. That's your magic charm. For some of us, it's I go to a movie. <laughs> For some of us, I eat. For some of us, uh, I worry. God wants the first thing we do when we face fears is to consult him. God, I need your help here. God, I need to know what you want me to do here. God, you need to work in the situation. And when we're not doing that, and I've got to admit, more times than not, I'm not, that's not an area to patch. That's a foundation that needs a bulldozer to overhaul. He goes on. He says, and when you make decisions, you've made something more important than hearing from me. In this case, you've made loving money more important than, and, and that's resulted in using people. He says, why are these false prophets doing what they're doing? Well, you profane me among my people. Why would you do that? Why would you say I'm speaking when I'm not? Why would you tell people what they want to hear when it's not what I want them to hear? Oh, I see why. It's because you get a handful of barley and you get some pieces of bread and they're living in a time of starvation and the false prophets are like, listen, I'll say whatever you want. Just give me some barley. Just give me some bread. To which we again get self-righteous and go, I would never do that. I would never compromise my integrity for some barley. Those people. Oh, my goodness. Why can they never learn? But how often do you compromise your integrity for your reputation? That's your barley. For other people's approval, you fudge the truth a little bit to look better in the way you tell a story. See, it may not be barley, but I promise you there's some way in which your foundation's broken when you love something. In this case, it was money, food, barley, bread, and you end up using people. That's what happens. You end up killing people who should not die. Hey, that Ezekiel, those prophets who say stuff like that, Jeremiah and Isaiah, kill those people off. Oh, my goodness, they're so depressing. It's like talking, listen to Eeyore all the time. Every time we open up the scrolls, like, Eeyore, Eeyore, poor me. Nebuchadnezzar's going to come and he's going to destroy us. Let's kill off those guys. Listen, come over to my place. Come to our church. It's happy time. It's a false prophet. Things are good. Peace is coming. Listen, you're killing off the wrong people. And you're keeping people alive who should not live. People who are lying, killing people, doing horrible things. By your lying to my people who listen to your lies. And that shows your foundation is broke. It needs to be fixed. More than that, instead of wanting to please me, you've made pleasing other people your real functional God. And that is not an area to patch. That's something to overhaul. He continues, he says, Therefore, says the Lord God, behold, I'm against your magic charms, which you hunt souls like birds. Look at that phrase. You think they're just magic charms. I see these foreign gods, these other priorities, as ways in which you hunt souls like birds. I'm going to tear them from your arms and let your souls go, the souls you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall no longer be prey in your hand. And here's the phrase again, because I want you to know that I am the Lord, and I don't lie. And I don't manipulate people. I am the Lord your God. 
And when you're giving advice, the reason you're lying, the reason you're fudging the truth is because you want to please other people more than you want to please me. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad. Whom I haven't made sad. I don't make the righteous people sad. But your lies make them sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked. So that he does not turn from his wicked way. See, I love people enough that when they're doing wicked things, I love them enough to say, listen, you've got to stop. There's pain down there that's not good for you. I love people enough to tell them when they're being wicked, you are actually enabling their wickedness because you want their approval more than you want the truth. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and here it is again, and you will know that I am the Lord. You see, even in the midst of the judgment and the swinging of the hammer, what God really wants more than anything is for you and I to know him for who he is, to make him king of your life. God says, listen, don't try and patch over an area that needs a bulldozer. Trust me to be good. And trust me, that in my goodness, when I bulldoze something in your life, it'll be for your good. And what I'm trying to overhaul is to sustain you and create a home for you for the next 2, 10, 20 years. Why wait another decade before you finally get serious about this area of personal holiness? Don't keep patching this issue. So I made a list of all the different things that Ezekiel mentions. And I want you to pick one. What's one area of your life that you want to say, God, I want to trust you to bulldoze this area? Maybe it's ignoring God. You just think of God the way you think of a spare tire. When there's a problem, you you pull it out. When it's not, you sort of leave it in the trunk. God, that's a real issue. I want you to bulldoze that and, and make me more dependent. Maybe it's minimizing his input. Maybe it's just the idea of self-sufficiency. Maybe pleasing others has become a major area in your life that's more important than pleasing God. Maybe you give in to fear through worry. And fear has become something that's plagued your life. And God's saying, it's time for me to do some work. And I need to bulldoze through some stuff. Praying last. Loving money or barley or whatever more than money or using people. Pick one of those and say, God, I want to give you freedom. I don't really like it, but I want to give you freedom to come in and knock down some walls in my life. I, uh, my mother-in-law... <laughs> My mother-in-law is about to move back into their old house. My sister-in-law has been living there. And my sister-in-law is a landscaper, so she works really long hours into the night. And because of that, uh, her lawn looks terrible. Right? The, lawn, the, the, the landscaper whose lawn doesn't look good. And so the whole front of the lawn is filled with pots and pottery that she hasn't had a chance to fix or get cleaned up. And, and so she, she called my, my mother-in-law one day and said, Hey, could, could you go pick up the pots? The insurance company stopped by and said it's so bad that they're going to cancel our insurance if we don't fix the place. That's pretty bad. My mother-in-law said, I'll take care of it. Now, what my sister-in-law forgot is that my mother-in-law loves to drive the John Deere tractor. She loves to bulldoze things. Like every time I call her, she just bulldozed a new pond out in the 150 acres. So she comes over not to pick up a few pots. She comes over with a bulldozer and bulldozes the entire front yard. Because for years, the water has, has the gutters haven't been cleaned, so the water hits and goes toward the foundation. So she scrapes away the grass. She scraped away all the dirt so it no longer leans toward the house. It leans away. She sent me a picture of it. My mother-in-law did. I'm like, wow, that was a lot of work. She's like, yeah. Yeah, but now we're going to be moving back into our old house in about six months. I want to prepare this for the future. And though there may not be some grass for a season, though we have to put down some more grass seed, 
Though we could have just picked up a few pots and I guess it would have been fine for a little bit. I wanted to prepare this for a great future. That's what God wants to do in your and my life as well. He wants to bulldoze, not to tear up our yard, not to hurt us, but to prepare us to live in a relationship that sustains us. So you stand with me. We're going to sing this next song. The song is called King of My Heart. I think it's a great way to express this desire to say, God, I want you to bulldoze some areas of my life because I want you to be king of my life more than I want my own comfort, more than I want my own convenience.